Hey, it's Brandon Laws. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. And right now there's an excellent opportunity to sign up for Zenium's annual What People Want From Work survey. We've been running this for five or six years. And this is a survey that we allow organizations, small, medium-sized organizations to participate in for free. And we do all the work for it. So what happens is we'll send you a link to the survey. You send it out to your employees. We ask them questions like, what do they think about leadership? What do they think about workplace culture? How's their compensation? Uh, what keeps you there? Overall ratings and just other feedback about what it's like to work in your environment. And then you get to use this to make lasting changes in your organization. So we always recommend if you want the feedback, the hard, sometimes hard feedback to do something with it, this is an excellent opportunity for you. You can sign up and participate for free. It's in the show notes, the URL to sign up and learn more is zenimhr.com forward slash WPWFW. And again, the link's in the show notes. You can just click that and sign up. It's free. Okay, today's episode is uh, a really good one. I had a chance to talk with Mike Zannies, the CEO of the Predictive Index and an overall expert on talent optimization. So we discussed the effects of COVID on the current workforce, uh, the war on talent, and team building strategies that really work. This is an overall glimpse into Mike's new book, The Science of Dream Teams, How Talent Optimization Can Drive Engagement, Productivity, and Happiness. I know you'll love this episode. It was a really good conversation I had with Mike. So enjoy and uh, make sure to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, any of those places. I, I'd love to hear from you and how you're liking the show. Have a great week and we've got lots of good stuff coming. We'll talk to you next week. Mike, it is a pleasure to have you on the Transform Your Workplace podcast. Thanks for coming on. Brandon, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're recording today on July 6th. I'm not sure when this, this episode will exactly release, but today is the book launch for your new book, The Science of Dream Teams, How Talent Optimization Can Drive Engagement, Productivity, and Happiness. Congratulations on the book launch. Brandon, thanks. It's a giddy feeling, you know, 20 plus months of work and it comes out and hope people enjoy the read. Yeah. Let's dive into it. So you say the science of dream teams. I'm, I'm curious, like how do leaders and HR people, how do they use science to build great teams? The irony is most people don't actually want science. They want science to work for them. You know, they, they want it to drive their Tesla. They want it to fly their plane and they want it to make sure their, their vaccinations work. But most people really want, you know, yes or no, or red light, green light. And I think a, a, a lot of organizations like the Predictive Index work hard to make sure that the science is removed from the clients and that the clients get answers and useful tools. But the, the reason for the science of Dream Teams is I had access to so much data being the CEO of the Predictive Index that I wanted to take more of a scientific approach to how you thoughtfully build world-class teams. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the interesting thing about just the data and science is like you could, I mean, you could probably use the data in a way to tell whatever story you want. You know what I mean? Like you collect the data, but you can pull out the ones that serve 
the needs. So like, what metrics are you looking at? What tools or data are you looking at to measure the success of teams in a way that is an objective way to look at it? You have to understand what, what's the type of work that you're trying to do. It doesn't mean a, a team is good or bad. A team might be you know, good for a certain project, task, mission, bad for others. And one of the things that I like to point out is if you took the, you know, the senior team of a hospital, the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. And, you know, the promise when you go into the hospital is, you know, they give you the right medicine at the right time. And they would be terrible at running a startup. You know, a startup's trying to reinvent business models, break rules, find different ways of doing things. The hospital team would be too staid, you know, too structured. And vice versa, if you took the entrepreneurial team and put them in charge of a hospital, you know, they'd change some process and, you know, people would get the wrong medicine. So it's, it's really uh, when you go through this process of trying to find the right team, we really talk about start with yourself. You need to be a good team member. You have to go on this journey of self-awareness to be a good team member. Then, then talk about the team, similarities, differences, joys, frustrations. What's, what's our team good at? You know, where do we have gaps? Where do we have frictions and tensions? And then talk about the team doing the work. You got to find out, is this team a good fit for the work to be done? And, and that's when you get the uncovering. How do you, how do you really get world-class team and world-class team performance? Are there any particular metrics that you look at or that you're like, anybody listening, they should be measuring on a regular basis? You need feedback loops in almost everything that you do. So hiring, yeah. let's take something true to everyone. I, I think if you interview drivers of cars, 90% of people say they're above average at driving. And I think the same is true. <laughs> yeah, my, my son who's 16 certainly feels that way. And he's not. But <laughs> I hope he listens to this. Um, it, the same is true, I think, with hiring. You know, so many people think they're above average at uh, interviewing people. And they're not. One of the great feedback loops that we use is the success of our interviewing team. So let's just say that I said no to someone and Brandon, you said yes to someone. Turns out we hire them and it, they turn out to be great And after six months and on, on their performance scores that we do at three and six months. And as that learning system evolves, all of a sudden they realize maybe Mike's not really that good of an interviewer. And his recommendations turn to be wrong mo most of the time. So we're going to uninvite him or coach him yeah. uh, in that process. And that data, you know, we, we're a 200 and 250 person firm. You know, we probably only have 40 people who are regularly interviewing because we've determined they're the best interviewers. They've committed to learning and they've committed to becoming better at this trade and skill. Do you use any sort of skill or behavioral assessment tests while you're building teams? So like if you're bringing on somebody to, to you know, fill a role in, in your company or on a team, are you doing anything like that to really figure out if it's the right fit for the team? There are a couple of, um, there's certain jobs that are very specific. Let's take sales. Yeah. There are very specific behavioral patterns for different types of sales. And there are little nuances like technical sales or collaborative sales that might move that a little bit. But for the most part, it's a pretty narrow behavioral profile for that job. Now, there are some jobs like product development uh, or consulting where you have a much more open aperture in terms of who would be successful in that role, the type of behavioral patterns to be successful in that role. So you might start looking at the teams and saying, 
is this person going to fit on this particular team for this particular job that we're putting them forth? So we, we do look at team makeup and team dynamic. Oftentimes, you'll add someone to augment a team to help stretch them in a direction that they might have a gap. This is sort of the more advanced elements of hiring or even internal hiring when you're promoting or assembling teams. Right. My wife actually has been, she was a Bain consultant and she does leadership and communication consulting for Bain. And if you think about a consulting company like Bain and Company, they are constantly assembling and reassembling teams based on that in- engagement. And as they assemble and reassemble teams so often, they need to use some sort of team dynamic to, to help understand when we put this one partner, these three managers, these five consultants, and these 10 associates on this engagement, what's the dynamic, predictably, what's the dynamic that we're going to see on, on Monday morning when they show up? Yeah, that's fascinating. And you, I mean, you talk about this phrase, talent optimization. I mean, is that what you're really what you're describing is the the assembling and reassembling of teams? So that way, when they show up on Monday morning, they are effectively working as a team. Is that how you describe it? Or is there is it deeper than that? Talent optimization is certainly a new discipline. We're trying to get people to change the way they work. And I make the parallel and analogy to 30 years ago in sport, we used to send scouts out looking at talent. These talent scouts would assess talent. Those same scouts today aren't visiting stadiums. They're looking at statistics. <laughs> right. Moneyball. <laughs> Moneyball. And if you think about, we are so much more brutal in sport. On Monday morning, after your team wins or loses, you are eviscerating their performance based on the statistics. You know, player X had a terrible game. Yes. We need a new quarterback, say. And we're brutal with sports, we're brutal with our our fantasy teams, and we're constantly looking at the analytics and trying to get an edge. In business, we are definitely not as brutal or as analytic. We need to take some of the good that comes from what we can learn from sport and say we need to be more disciplined looking at the predictors of success in our workplaces. Sometimes it's often with teams that assemble and reassemble, but most companies are more static. These groups, departments are, are pretty static and they don't change that frequently. You, you don't have to look at it daily, yeah. but you, you certainly, when you're architecting these companies, teams, departments, you certainly have to use more analytics in your approach than we have in the past. Yeah, I think that's the interesting Part of this whole conversation is, and where I was kind of going originally when we started this discussion is the data, you know, in sport, for example, you know, Moneyball is a perfect example where they're like, okay, we need X amount of runs to replace. And then they look at all these players and their statistics on base percentage. How do they get on base as a walks, hit by pitch, singles, home run, like whatever it is. And those are pretty objective data points. But when you get to the business world, I think for the average company, there's this level of like subjectivity in the data that they're collecting, whether it's like performance reviews or things like that, that are inherently biased in the workplace. How do you get to a level of objectivity? You've pointed it out. It does not need to be rocket science. If you've walked through customs and border patrol, you may have noticed that they have a little five box Likert scale. And they have smiley faces, you know, they have a red (laughs) unhappy and then, you know, sort of orange marginally unhappy and then yellow medium and then light green and then bright green. And you're allowed to press those buttons and the, the customs agent doesn't know what you pressed. We need something that simple in business. We need feedback loops, you know, 
And you can't just do an annual review and remember all the great things that Brandon did last year. You, you, need, you need a lighter, more lightweight way to put back, hey, Brandon was having a killer June. You know, you tore it up on, you know, three key initiatives that where you're doing and, you know, your, your podcast growth was X, Y, or Z and, you know, the leads grew, you know, Y. That needs to happen. We need the performance data because without the performance data, it's really hard to be objective. You've got these subjective opinions that I like Brandon. He's a good guy. And, and that doesn't, that's great, but that's not going to create a, a major league baseball winning franchise. Right. This last year and a half or so, you know, with COVID and a lot of companies shifted to remote work or hybrid work, whatever it may be, what effect has that had on talent optimization? Has it gotten better? Is it worse? Is it different? Like what has come up for you? Oh, it's, it's really interesting. The displacement of our workforce was the greatest displacement of people since World War II. And it happened five times faster. Yes, right. Yeah, we laid off 40 million people in six weeks. We, we asked 100 million people to work in some sort of hybrid mode. Then we asked people who are mission critical to certain activities to take massive risks and change their safety protocols, um, you know, immensely. And then we, we got this hybrid thing going. And, you know, companies like ours, we were tracking productivity. And our tech team's productivity went up 70%, 7-0. Really? Yeah. I mean, they were like, we're not commuting. We're having fewer meetings, fewer yeah. interruptions. And we're actually collaborating really effectively using some of these new tools and, you know, they're a group of predominantly introverts that share a few words. So if a meeting's over, <laughs> you don't just drag it out for the, the full hour. They're like, <laughs> we're done. Let's get back to work. Love it. So, you know, there was that. But now we're coming back. We abused our workforce. We're starting to come out of this recession to a fantastic period of growth. And now we have this new war on talent. And... Over 50, I think it's 56% of people said they are open to changing jobs in the next 12 months. Wow. So we're going to have this churn where people are just hunting in other people's ponds, trying to steal their best and their brightest. And I think the companies that are not on top of their talent optimization, that don't have people in the right positions, that don't have high performing teams that aren't taking employee experience or engagement surveys seriously and acting upon them, they are going to have so much brain drain as their talent walks out the door. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because in the book you mentioned Gallup's 2019 State of the Global Workplace Study, which said like 85% of the workers are not engaged. And this is even before the pandemic even started. So if that was the case before, and then people are probably even more disengaged because of COVID and, and all that, I would suspect there's going to be a lot of movement, wouldn't you? Oh, fantastic amount of movement. I think it is going to shock people that people who are trying to grow and add bodies are on a net basis are going to struggle because they're going to lose so many people. They're just going to struggle to even keep the numbers they have unless they really, really ramp up. And I mean, we'll see how this shakes out. I think the companies that have worked hard and created great cultures will have a leg up. Their churn will be less. Yeah. And their hiring brands are probably greater to fill. But the opportunity here is amazing. We, we're a tech 
company in Boston. And our head of technology was biased towards having in-person teams. And I just said that we had a 70% increase in productivity. He is the biggest champion for hiring remotely, that we're picking up talent in tier two and tier three tech areas that we never thought possible. So we're picking up better talent at more competitive you know, local prices. Yeah. And it, it's going swimmingly. Like it, this change has turned out to be such a boon for us. I think that's the importance of the, the feedback loop you were talking about earlier is you have the data that proves that people are probably more engaged. And that's where the, the result of the 70% increase in productivity is. And so now you've basically changed somebody's mind on your team about like, okay, maybe this remote work thing actually works. And then you actually make business decisions based on that data because it's objective scientific data. And now going forward, you just can probably continue to track that information and we'll make new business decisions based on any changes. Is that how you are sort of looking at it? You know, we don't have all the answers, but, you know, we pull our own people and our clients pretty regularly. Right. Um, turns out, you know, we've gone to this hybrid model. 40% of our workers want to be 100% remote. 40% want to work two days a week or less in the office. And only 20% want to be three days or more in the office, huh. which I don't think many people would have predicted, but 40% full remote. I think that's probably on par with a lot of the companies out there. And, yep. you know, I think it was Jamie Dimon is just like, hey, everyone's got to come back to work. I hated working remotely and I want everyone to come back to work. <laughs> just because the CEO wants to come back doesn't mean everybody should come back. That's right. Then all of a sudden the, the big bank next door might be like, okay, <laughs> we'll take all of your people who want to work remote. They can come work for us because that's going to happen. Yeah, I suspect that'll that'll happen, and that's where the movement will start kicking into high gear. Yeah, what can leadership do to you know create a hiring and training process, especially as the movement starts picking up, that sets people up for success? So I think like part of integrating and onboarding people into the culture and just whatever environment you have, like how do you set those people up for success so that, that they stay engaged right away and long term? The first question I ask every CEO that I talk to is, uh, who's in charge of your strategic talent decision-making? You know, who's your number one strategic talent person? And then they always go, oh, our head of HR. And like, great. <laughs> Where does he or she report into? CFO. Exactly. Like, is the number <laughs> should one. should be like, like the president or CEO, really. The head of talent should report into the CEO, period, full stop. Exactly. 100% agree. If you think of a modern organization, 65% of costs are associated with people. And, you know, in a, in a firm like yours, it's even higher. And what ends up happening is why would you not have 65% of costs and the key person who manages it report into the CEO? It doesn't mean that the CFO, you cannot create a budget today without the chief people officer and the head of finance. Like that is the new triumvirate, CEO, CFO, chief people officer. And when a CEO tells me that it reports into finance or accounting or somewhere else, they're not taking it seriously. So you ask the question, what can leadership do? Firstly, it's buy-in. And if they don't have that, don't even bother going to the next step. If, if the senior management doesn't buy into taking this seriously and really treating talent optimization as a new discipline that they have to embrace 
There is no step two. That is it. They have to do that. I thought the concept that you talked about in the book, the front of the t-shirt, back of the t-shirt concept, talk about that. I thought that was interesting. Well, we got to give credit where credit's due. This this comes from a Bain consultant, Jim Allen, uh, who is longstanding partner in the UK. And the concept of front of t-shirt, back of t-shirt is just an analogy. The front of t-shirt, what's written on the front of your t-shirt is everything that you've been given a job for. It could be your energy, your charisma, your analytic skills. It's the things that your parents, you know, would brag on you for. You know, when you hear them, you puff up your chest. Now, the back of T-shirt are just as clear, but because you're wearing the T-shirt, you don't really have a great view of it. And most people who talk about it don't do it with you around. Mm -hmm. They do it as you're walking away from them. So the reason I love this framework is the onus is on the person, the self-aware person, to find out what's on the back of their T-shirt without having the perspective. So they have to ask people, you know, they have to sort of get into weird positions to see what's on there. And when they ask people, they have to ask follow-up questions because some people don't want to talk about what's on the back of your t-shirt. They'll say something, you know, light and non-offensive and won't get to the root cause. So you have to keep peeling that back and say, no, I, I want to know. I want to know the ugly secrets back there because these things on the back of your t-shirt never go away. You know, they, you will live with them for the rest of your life. So you have to determine, one, what they are. Then two, how do they take you out when they do take you out? And what are the triggers for that? And how can you short circuit it from happening so that you don't let it take you out? Because Jim Allen, the reason he came up with this is he said, this is what prevents people from becoming partner at Bain. It's not their front of the t-shirt. It's an out of control back of t-shirt. And you said the, the onus is on the people to understand what's on the back of their t-shirt? Like how do you, what kind of questions are you asking or what, what do you do to be self-aware about what's on the back of your t-shirt? I mean, curiosity is the first part. Like, you know, I hope, you know, when someone reads the book, like you have, you go talk to and say, Hey, what's on the back of my t-shirt? <laughs> right. And then you might be so bold as to possibly ask your coworkers or your boss. When I read someone's 360 degree annual reviews, uh, I carry two color pens you know, front of t-shirt, back of t-shirt. And I, I start teasing out themes. And I even have people, managers actually put, you know, Google forms where they'll, they'll ask their employees, hey, you know, this is anonymous survey. What's on the back of my t-shirt? And it has become a language here at our company that people are helping you with this. And each manager, as they're coaching people through personal development, is sort of helping people refine. I actually have a friend who struggles as a micromanager. And that's what's on the back of the t-shirt, but we kept working on it. And it turns out he doesn't want to be a micromanager, Yeah, but he has a trust problem. Oh, yeah. He doesn't trust people to make decisions as well as he does. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm a micromanager and I will forever be a micromanager, but it's underlying thing that's even deeper than that. It comes to a little bit of trust. Yeah, I love that. What's interesting about what you just said about this is like, I think if it's ingrained in your culture, you could figure out what's on the back of the t-shirt, but like the trust and the respect that you have with other people that tell you the truth. And even if it's anonymous surveys, but the way you, you were describing, like it's part of your language, like what's on the back of my t-shirt? Like, I think that's got to be ingrained in your culture for it to really work. And I hope people start, they read this book and say, let's be more open about what's on the back of our t-shirt if we want to grow and, and develop. And again, it's up to the leaders to create this openness, transparency, and vulnerability 
if they aren't vulnerable themselves, you will not create an environment where your people will want to show vulnerability. So I often talk about my back of t-shirt publicly in all company settings. Say, hey, I don't do these things well. And they're known things that I've never done well. I'm trying to be better at them. And I want you to help. I'm recruiting you to help me. When you see me do this. Hold me accountable for it. And if they can see that the CEO can be vulnerable and is working on stuff, that way when I approach them about a back of t-shirt issue, I, you know, I make sure I spend a lot of time on the front of t-shirt because I want them to play their game on the front. But when I talk about the back of t-shirt, they don't think I'm out to get them. They're like, okay, you're helping me discover what's on here and how to like own it because you're interested in making me better for the mission. That is triggered by that vulnerability from the leadership. Well, Mike, this has been a blast to, to have a conversation with you, especially on the, your book launch day. I know we kind of jumped around, but I want to encourage people to go get the book, uh, The Science of Dream Teams, How Talent Optimization Can Drive Engagement, Productivity, and Happiness. If you were to boil us down to like one thing that people should take away from either our discussion or the book, that maybe we did or didn't cover, what do you want to make sure that we say before we leave? Just don't do it the old way. (laughs) (laughs) My biggest fear is that people stick with these old practices that aren't, aren't currently working and sort of, we're just getting started in talent optimization. And I'd love people to, to sort of take their first baby steps to go on this journey. Mike, where can people connect with you or, or learn more about you, the predictive index, anything like that you want to share? I would love them to go to dreamteams.io, which is the book's website. You can actually take, you know, some behavioral and team assessments there, you know, for free to just learn about it, whether you've purchased the book or not. And if they want to know know more about the Predictive Index, uh, predictiveindex.com. And uh, we have a lot of free content uh, about talent optimization that people can snack on. It's super valuable and um, would love to engage with them and love to meet them on LinkedIn. Awesome. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Brandon, thank you. You're quite a professional. Really appreciate your time and your attention and your insights. Thank you. Thank you.